Absolutely. Thank you for making time for this. I want to go into a lot of stuff, but I want you to first introduce yourself, who you are, how you got into design, and then I'll ask a barrage of questions. Yeah, sure. I've been designing for about 11 years now, professionally. 13 if you count school. Um, I went to school for like traditional graphic design, you know, so like a background in editorial design, like print, art direction. OG. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw a few people on the podcast. They had kind of like a similar background. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when I graduated, like everything changed, you know, it's like, there was no, like, there was no class for like UX design or anything mm -hmm. like that. You know, I had to learn all those new skills on the job. Um, and it's kind of the way it's been my whole career, you know? So I've jumped around from like startups to, uh, big agencies, uh, tech companies. Uh, um, I worked for like publicist group for a while. I was an art director there. Um, now I'm, I'm independent. Now I'm running my own creative studio here in Toronto, uh, working remotely with, uh, clients worldwide. Um, yeah, mostly specialize in, uh, art direction, branding, and now no code web design. Uh, so mainly I work with like a lot of like, uh, startups, small businesses, or like creatives like yourself, um, try to give them like a facelift. So redo the brand, redo the, the website, you know, just try to make everything look really nice. So they kind of have like a competitive advantage. Um, cause a lot of those companies, you know, they, they, uh, they could do a lot better, you know, having like a great website and, and a great brand helps a lot, especially in a world where, uh, now like design is so important and, and people judge you by the way you look and not necessarily like the quality of content that you produce or the product that you're putting out. Uh, so I'd like to think I'm making a big difference in that area. Well, can you talk about that? Like, what is so significant about having a well-designed website? Oh, man, it's everything. It's like, if you don't have, like, a social media presence, because um, a lot of these smaller companies may not necessarily have, like, a good, like, Instagram or Twitter or threads or whatever they're on, um, you know, like, sometimes you'll just find people on Google and seeing that website that's like the first experience that the customer has with your brand. Mm -hmm. And if you don't leave a good impression, um, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll walk away or, you know, they may not think about trying your service or your product. Um, you know, so having a great website is all the difference. I, I think of it as like, it, it's, a, it's the easiest way to build trust. Yeah. Right. Like if you present yourself to somebody in, on the street, you want to present yourself typically as a trustworthy person so that you can exchange value for money. Uh, and I wouldn't really give money away to somebody that I don't trust. Like bottom line, like if I don't trust you, you're going to do what you say you're going to do with my money, then I don't, I wouldn't give you my money. Right. So I totally resonate with that. Uh, and I want also uh, to hear a lot of your thoughts on, on, on a lot of things, but <laughs> I'm going to also act like the opposite argument on a lot of things, just okay. to spark conversation because Let's say you, um, well, not because, but I'm, I'm going to say that what if you don't, like, I've seen so many people that ha don't have good websites. Like, I know a lot of designers that don't have good websites. I don't have a website myself. Mm -hmm. I have a web presence, but I don't have a website. And yet people trust me. People still, yeah. I don't want to say look up to me, but people still respect my opinions when I reach out or I say something or they say something to me or ask me questions. Uh, so... Do I need a website then? 
No, it's an interesting question. I mean, I'm actually in the same boat. I don't have like an actual website. But you're building one. I'm building one. I'm in the process of of creating one, like my own framework portfolio site. But like, you know how it goes. Sometimes like you're so overwhelmed with like client work or other projects that your own projects get like pushed on the back burner, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they just kind of like months and months and months go by and like you still haven't done it yet. Uh, But luckily I have some downtime now. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to get that done. How many clients have you worked for, worked with? Oh man, this past year has been pretty crazy because like uh, like I started freelancing full time last summer, um, so I'd say around maybe August. Um, and at first, it was kind of going. I was going like a little bit slow, you know. But then I started like dabbling more in the framer stuff and like sharing like the work online on like Twitter. Um, and then I started growing like this big following. It's like. In the beginning, I had like I had like no followers at all. I had like this <laughs> dormant Twitter account from like you know 2015 or something, but I was only using it because every time like uh, I talked to Jorn, like the CEO of Framer, uh, they'd always share everything on Twitter. So I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I guess I I guess I need one, uh, and it blew up pretty fast, man. I'm at like uh, 2,500 followers now, I think. So so, like, what do you like tweet about that gets? so many followers like is it just images of your work yeah i mostly just kind of like share what i'm doing like in framer mm-hmm. um so like what what cedric says like cedric Moore, he was on the podcast um like i just kind of like work in public so I, i'm actively like kind of like sharing what i'm working on in like the public sphere uh, mostly on twitter now x <laughs> yeah i don't i'm <laughs> never gonna do that i'm uh, not, not gonna comment on that but, no, uh, we're gonna comment on that in a little bit, but <laughs> but but please continue. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I mostly I mostly share like kind of like what I'm what I'm working on in framers, like my designs or templates or things that I'm working on. Um, and I guess I guess people got really interested because at the time it wasn't so big because I started sharing uh, what I was doing maybe back in November. Uh, the first framer website I made was for that uh, Toronto tattoo artist uh, Sebastian Camargo. And that gained a lot of traction, you know. I, I submit it for like site of the month and things like that. I mean, it's and, it's an amazing website. It's a very well designed site and, and it has a great touch of typography on it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I thought you'd mention that. Uh but yeah, so I just keep kind of like sharing what I'm doing, you know, kind of like uh, keep people updated on what's happening. Uh like my templates, my design work, uh, you know, my thoughts on on design, you know, kind of like the current space of design Twitter, things like that. Um, and I'm always like my true authentic self, um, which I think people like because there's so many like, you know, people on Twitter, you know, it's like, oh, you know, so here's like the the 100 best tips, you know, to like, you know, grow your design business or you you do these five things and you'll make like one million dollars. You know, I I try not to do things like that, um, you know, because yeah. I'm always just like my my true authentic self. And I, I think people resonate with that. Um, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I, I think I started trying to do that, and I was like, mm, "This isn't for me. I don't like doing like the 100, you know, tips for the the, the 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 It it doesn't feel authentic, especially because everyone does it. Yeah, I think maybe like the first couple people who were doing it could have gotten away with it, but like even still, it's like it's just very. I've noticed different industries it works different in, like it succeeds better in other. Like if we're talking about business folks, they just grapple onto anything in the Twitter sphere, it's like, oh my God, this is now the gospel yeah. <laughs> of, of, of business. Like this person made it, so therefore they're an expert. It's like, yeah, if they're not recreating that over and over again, I wouldn't trust them, to be honest. Um, yeah. 
And I, someone made a really good point about Jeff Bezos that like his Washington Post purchase, it's like $100 million down the drain compared to the $500 million or $200 million that he bought it for, plus the whatever million he did renovating the facility and rehiring everyone. Um, wow. And it, it's interesting because it does kind of point out like, okay, somebody who was really good at one thing tried to transition to something else and it didn't work out. You can say the same thing, same thing about Elon, perhaps. I'm not saying it's true or not. I, I would bet my, my my money on Elon more than anything. But, you know, it's it's been a very tumultuous uh, exchange when they gave over the rights to Twitter to Elon. He bought it and then turning into X. And a lot of people are just like, why? And I do think part of it is just because Elon wants to do it, not even because like it's better for Twitter. Um, yeah. But he's trying to rebrand it. He's trying to completely reinvent what it means to be on Twitter. Um and I don't think it's going to work very well because we're not the same as China. And he, he's trying to convert. It's like WeChat of America, right? So as a uh, type typographist, type type <laughs> wizard, um, what do you think of the logo X? I don't have any like uh, real thoughts on it. What? Like, Come I've on. Seen- I've seen I've seen like a lot of people talking about it, you know. Like I, I think they discovered like it was like a glyph, like that X in like uh, you know font book. There's like there's like an Apple character that looks just like it. So you know I think it's a, maybe it's a bit lazy, you know. They they didn't do anything creative or different, you know. Especially because like the the Twitter bird is like so iconic, you know. Like everyone everyone loves that Twitter bird. And, like I saw like I think I was on Reddit. I saw like a evolution of the logo from like 2010 to like now and. The bird wasn't like so refined in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and then now we just ended up with like X, you know? Yeah. But I think Elon just likes the letter X because I, I was thinking about it, you know, there's SpaceX, mm-hmm. you know, you know, well, you, you should just call it Twitter X, you know, that you can have the X in like, you know, all of his products. I mean, uh, I, I, maybe it's like a theme X, Twitter X, whatever, but like yeah. that's kind of like, it's a weird word. It's a weird letter, word, phrase to use with other things because it's like the opposite of it. It's like the, yeah. the negative connotation to it. But then, um, you know, Apple used Mac OS X, right? That's true, yeah. So that was a big thing. Um, so, it, like, it has, like, a lot of, like, cultural meaning to it. But somehow he came to own X.com and is just trying to brand everything X, XAI, space X, yeah. whatever. And you're right, he does have an affinity for the word X. And I don't know why. Um, I actually don't like it. I don't like the idea of naming everything X. No, um, me neither. Yeah, I'm not into it whatever but uh i was i was hoping you would kind of go into details about the logo because like the logo someone pointed out that, like the like if you're drawing an x like letter yeah. you know you want like some of like one of the lines to kind of shift a little bit to balance it out because in the way that it's weighted it's like oh, yeah. a little lopsided um and it kind of is like so i was going back and forth with someone on twitter that, that they're saying it's very amateur childish someone you know at a, just at a school drew it and whatever I don't think anyone even drew it. I think it just pulled the glyph from, like you said, the the, the font book or whatever. Yeah. Put it there. And then on top of that, he uses some other video like effect that was like seizure inducing. That was like a pre-made template from something else. <laughs> and no. then just put the logo on it. And that's why no. there's that. So, um, yeah, not a good execution on his part. Very unlike Elon, in my opinion. Um, I agree. He, because it's not like like the Tesla has like a whole thing behind it. Like the the T is like the the like a, like a component of the Tesla uh, invention that he created. Um, 
and he hasn't Tesla created and he kind of pulled that piece out and then made it the T for the Tesla uh, car. And it looks beautiful and it has a really lot of intentionality to it. And this just didn't seem like it had any intentionality to it at all. Yeah. But maybe that's Twitter's vibe. No intentionality. I'm not really sure what's going on inside like Twitter headquarters right now. You know, it's probably like a lot of crazy things happening there that we'll hear about like, you know, maybe years from now. But I'd love to get my uh, my friend Matthew from Blaze Type on here to talk about it because when I when I did the website for him, like the Blaze Type guide, like how to design fonts, yeah. there's like a whole chapter in there on like designing the the letter X, mm-hmm. you know, mm. and and you Ooh. know goes into detail and you know like the, the optical alignment and you know how to make sure it looks great with like the okay, rest cool. Of the You're gonna have to help me set that up because I want I want to talk about that now. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's a funny guy. I I think I think you'd love talking with him. He'd be a great guest of the podcast here. That'd be awesome. Okay, cool. So uh, I have a couple of questions written down. So let's try mm-hmm. to get through a lot of them. And then uh, we'll, we'll see see what you had to say about that. So how do you choose the right typeface? Oh, man, it's a tricky question. Um, it really comes down to like the project. Um, you know, kind of like going into each project I do. I like I try to make sure that like it has like a distinctive look and feel. You know, it's kind of like own personality. You know, just try to give like each project it's like own like unique kind of like visual identity if you will um you know so a lot of times it comes down to like the vibe you know like if i'm doing something like futuristic you know i'll most likely use like something really modern like maybe like a sans serif typeface something really clean mm-hmm. um if i want to go like more classical you know maybe i'll pick more of like a like an editorial typeface like a like a serif font um you know kind of give it that more of that, like that timeless look mm-hmm. um so a lot of times it really comes down to the specific project. But like if you're having trouble picking like a good typeface, you know, you can always rely on like the classics, right? You know, people always say like Helvetica or like now, uh, like all the product designers use Inter. You know, that's like that's like the only font on like the Internet now. But you're seeing so many great like new typefaces coming out like uh, like Fontshare. Fontshare just recently integrated with Framer. So now we have access to like all these like amazing new uh, fonts and typefaces that weren't available before. Uh, so you no longer have to rely on like Google fonts, you know, but I always like to go with like a good old, you know, reliable like workhorse fonts, you know, a mm-hmm. uh, font that has like, you know, lots of weights, you know, like variable widths, you know, like really wide. So uh, if somebody's really creating narrow. a typeface today, would it be better just to create it as a variable typeface and then just create the weights from there? Because, like, I know a lot of people, they, they used to, or, I mean, you used to have to be able to draw yeah. the thing and then draw it again, but thicker, then thicker and thicker and thicker. And now yeah. you get a variable weight, you do the beginning and the end, and then some points in the middle, and they can kind of transition. No, that's a good question. Um, I've noticed, like, a lot of the variable fonts, they kind of, like, preset sizes still. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's still, like, you know, a light, like a medium, yeah. like a bold, ultra bold. Um, but and that seems to be the direction that all the fonts are going these days. Um, like I know Blaze Type, for example, all their all their new typefaces are variables, variable fonts. Nice. Um, That's cool. Pangram, Pangram in Montreal, another one of my favorite type founders. All their fonts are also variable. Um, I think it's great. You know, there's there's so many cool things you can do, uh, especially like if you're like motion graphics. You know, like that whole kinetic typography. That's like a big thing. You know, where you see like type in motion and all these cool things happening. I really love that. Um, I'm hoping to see it more on the web. I've requested a few times, like on like Framer, for them to mm. support variable typefaces. Um, I know, like for example, when I did the like the Blaze Type Guide, how to design fonts, 
it would have been really cool to, uh, on that website, you know, to have like some transitions where like the yeah. been to like super bold and things like that. I'm sure you um, can build like an override for that, but it would, maybe would yeah. work as well. I should I should talk to some of the you know the framer developers on Twitter. You know, see yeah, if we can make and, that happen. And for those who don't know what Framer is, who are new and have not listened to the other episodes that have to do with Framer on this podcast, Framer is a no-code tool that lets you build any website with drag-and-drop interface and has a lot of really crazy, awesome people behind it, not just working on it, but working with it, like Paul and many others, Cedric, Clara, and the more, the merrier, everyone should be in it. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, what about the typefaces besides the variable font, because that, that's a huge topic yeah. in and of itself. But what qualities of the typeface make it unique to you? Like, what are you looking for when you're picking a typeface? I know you say the vibe. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like a um, Eric Speakerman. He says that he starts every project with first picking the typeface and then designs the layout with the typeface, which yeah. I think is a brilliant way of approaching it. And I started doing that more so. And, I'm still stuck in the picking the typeface phase. <laughs> so uh, I, I get paralyzed by that. So like, what are you looking for when you're like, okay, I want this vibe. I want to match it to a typeface and then start the project. What yeah. in the typeface are you looking for? Oh, that's a good question. Because uh, like, there's so many typefaces on the like internet that are like overused. Uh, and that are actually because... bad when you actually open them up and try to do an outline stroke on them. And then yeah. it just has arrows going through it and like lines and stuff. Um, oh yeah, you see that a lot with like a lot of like the the, the classic fonts, you know, like yeah. the, the old reliable workhorse typefaces. But I'm seeing like in a lot of like like kind of like the newer type boundaries, like uh, ABC Dynamo, Pangram, um, Blaze Type, um, Klim Type, uh, Curly Type. I, I could go on. There's so many of them. Uh, you know, shout out to all the ones I missed. You know, <laughs> I'll put them all in the description. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, when I'm looking for a typeface, I'm, I'm usually looking for, like, a unique characteristic. Um, you know, like, the R, R, capital R, is a, is a great letter. You know, like, uh, if you think of, like, the classical, you know, Helvetica R, it's kind of got, like, that little spur at the end, you know. Um, if you think of, like a, like, a typeface, like, for example, favorite from Dynamo, the R has, like, a straight bar. Um, you know, so I'm usually looking for kind of, like, unique characteristics to kind of, like, make the brand feel unique. Or, you know, give the website, you know, its own, like, distinctive look. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, I'm not, like, a professional, like, font designer or anything. I'm just, I'm just very passionate about type. Um, like, <laughs> you see behind me, I have, like, a lot of books on type. Uh, yeah, I was looking at because I'm, like, usually books that are that colorful are always type-filled. Oh, yeah. No, I have uh, one of the best ones behind me. Um, I recommend is, um, like, if you're a designer and you're really interested in typography, I recommend subscribing to the Type One magazine. Um, it's a great, uh, it's a great magazine. Um, kind of like every, where, when do they release them? I think once every quarter, they they release like a new magazine. And it's it's all very like experimental. You know, mm-hmm. it's like what's happening. You know, in type design in the industry right now, and they'll usually like shout out like a lot of like the good foundries that are kind of like up and coming. Um, Do you think that those magazines and stuff? I know I have a couple of them myself, and there's actually yeah. a closet that's stored with just design books. I literally have maybe 200 design books and I don't know what to do with them. I don't, I don't have anywhere to put them in my room. It's kind of like a, not like a space to put them in. Um, We converted the library into like a gym. So I don't have it there anymore. But 
um, what is going to happen to all these books? Because like there was like this notion that like, oh yeah, like digital design is going to take over print design and then it kind of like started going and then print kind of leveled off and just didn't die and yeah. just not dying. But yet um, people are still invested in this physical physicality of like seeing the print, smelling it. And a lot of people I know smell the paper when they yeah. open the book. I think it's a little weird, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, what's your take on that? No, it's a great question. Uh, um, like me personally, like I still love print, uh, but I think that's just because like I'm a designer, you know, I love like tactile things. I love like touching, you know, feeling the paper, <laughs> you know, like the thickness of the paper, you know, maybe there's like a special printing quality, you know, maybe there's like a shiny silver finish on it or but something. Why, like why does that matter to you? Um, I get really excited about those things because like, for example, like I'm reading like a magazine or a book on like my iPad, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of lose that extra sense, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that extra sense of like touch or feeling or smell, you know, it's just, it's just like letters or words on a screen. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it kind of like loses that, you know, that personal quality, you know, like when you grab like an old book off the shelf, you know, and you, and you open it and you like dust it off and you haven't, you haven't opened it for a while. You have like this really kind of like satisfying feeling you know when you're yeah. looking through the pages and i think when you're just like you know swiping through the pages on your ipad you kind of lose that you know so me personally as a designer I, I i don't think you know i would i would sell my books or give them away or anything like that um and and plus they're like they're timeless you know kind of like a time capsule right you know that's true yeah i also would add on to all that i don't disagree with any of that but i would add, add on to that that digital is not permanent so mm -hmm. amazon's known to have pulled books from kindles and stuff um right off of your kindle without you even knowing about it um and for whatever the reason is uh and when you have a physical copy of something like a video game or a book it's yours you can move yeah. it around you can give it to somebody else and i just learned yesterday that the ussr actually banned uh photocopiers at a no. time so that people couldn't copy and distribute their own ideas. They had to like only read the propaganda that the government produced. So books, in my opinion, are probably one of the, I mean, not even my opinion, this is a fact. Uh, they are one of the most impactful innovations of, of humanity because they're able to spread ideas and they're, they last thousands of years if, if they don't dissolve, right? So yeah. I think they're pretty powerful in that capacity, but they can't transfer as fast as digital. Uh, yeah. And also can't be removed as fast as digital. So I don't agree with you on that. Um, yeah, I also think that there's something wrong with like screens. Like reading something on a screen is just, mm -hmm. it's a sin, right? Like, <laughs> like it, you know what I mean? Like when you're reading something in a book, it feels it has some sort of psychological effect to it that uh, viewing it on a screen doesn't. Yeah, it's kind of like there's a separation between you and the thing, whereas this book is like it's there, it's with you. No, it's a good point because I, I think I remember reading like a like a statistic one time that like when you read information from a book or like when you write things down, like you're more likely to retain yeah. that information. Yeah. Whereas like if you quickly skim through it on a on a screen, you may not like remember it as well. Yeah, that's why I don't remember anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, I wanted to ask you about. Like you said before, you were a more traditional designer. You've played with type. You actually spent more time, I'm assuming, like me, in the print studio at school yeah. trying to, you know, 
get the screen printing working. Oh no, you have to do it again because it didn't come out right. And you yeah, cut out that hamburger Fonstev right out of, out of here with an exacto knife. Uh, yeah. And then you go into digital and you apply a lot of the same principles and transition it to the digital plus then some. How do you how do you transition? Like how do you go from print or traditional media, traditional art, traditional type, design, graphic, whatever, to yeah. digital? Oh, it's a great question. I think coming from like a traditional graphic design background, you know, knowing like the like the core principles of design, like good typography, good layout, like good white space, good grades, you know, all of those things, like, you know, scale, imagery, color. I think all that applies to anything you design, you know, whether you're like you're an interior designer and you're designing, you know, for like a space or, or you know, for example, like a wall, you want to do like a cool mural on a wall or something like that. I think all those same principles apply. And then going from like print to digital, um, I found like the transition to actually be, you know, quite easy um, coming from a traditional design background, you know, like the small, like the small things, the small details are like very different, hmm. um, you know, instead of designing for paper, you're now designing for like, you know, a small iPhone, you know, or on like a web page, you know, it's like an infinite canvas, you know, so like the medium is a lot different. But I find all those core principles, like if you master like the core design principles, like like I was saying, like good white space, good typography, good grids, you can apply those to anything. And I'm seeing a lot now, for example, in web design, it's kind of like coming like full circle, um, you know, because now we're entering like Web3, you know, like CSS and HTML have gotten so much better. The browsers are so much more advanced. Like I remember when I first started doing web design, like you could only pick like eight typefaces, you know, they had to be like system fonts. Yep. You know, you, you couldn't. <laughs> Other, otherwise they wouldn't work on someone else's computer. Exactly. Like there was no yeah. like custom typefaces, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't do like fluid layouts, you know, where like, you know, the design flexes like the whole page, like none of those things were possible. So I'm starting to see now that like web design in particular is starting to kind of like feel more like print design of the past. You know, you're starting to see a lot more of like those editorial layouts, you know, a lot more like, you know, cleaner designs, um, you know, like big images, large type, you know, none of those things were possible before. What, what's your take on this? Uh, some people say that the, the internet is becoming very boring. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I have my own opinion about this. What do you think about that? Personally, I disagree. I mean, like, it depends on like, you know, kind of like what area of design you specialize in. Mm -hmm. Like maybe if you are a product designer, um, I would say, yeah, maybe the internet is a little bit boring because like you're starting to see like a lot of like, you know, startups or like, you know, SaaS companies where they all just look like the linear website, you know, or maybe like the Stripe website, you know, yeah. like kind of like those, like those classic, like, you know, product websites, you know, so, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think having like something familiar definitely helps when you're trying to get like new customers, you know, because they feel like, oh, I've seen that before, you know, and good so design is well respected. Who's, whose fault is that then? Is it the users and customers or prospects that are pressuring people to design it this way? Or is it the managers or is it the designers who are uh, just not being creative enough? What do you think that is? Yeah, I always think it starts at the top. It starts at like the leadership level, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, maybe like the CTO or like, you know, now you're seeing like a lot more like design leadership in companies as well. Okay, I'll, but... actually, I'll push back on that. I'll say, uh, but they don't know how to design. So what do they know? It's up to the designer to like actually inform their decision. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah. So um, you're starting to see like, you know, maybe like eh, I've worked in like startups in the past, you know, where the designers are very passionate about certain decisions, um, you know, and then leadership team may disagree, you know, and it's up to you to like sell your case and, you know, convince them, you know, why your idea or your design is better. Um, and sometimes that's hard to do, you know, especially like if you're early in your career, you know, it's hard to communicate those design decisions or why you feel like, you know, X might be better. Um, you know, I think it's just like a, you know, it comes with time, you know, it comes with like trusting yourself, becoming more confident, you know, having good references, good examples as to why, like, you know, your design might be better than something else, you know, and I think it's good to, to push for like innovation, you know, do something unique. And different that hasn't been done before. Um, otherwise, everything just starts to look static and the same. And I think it's easy to do, you know, something that looks similar. And it's, it's very hard to do something different that hasn't been done before. You know, so it's 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 a it's a hard road. But you know, I think over time, like designers will get more confident and more passionate about what they do, and you know, they can really, you know, push, you know, for change and and do something cool and different. What is difficult about doing something that hasn't been done before? Is it like is it like coming up with it because you're just so used to what everyone's doing that it's like hard to figure out something new, or is it that you get pressure not to do it or something else? Yeah, for me, I think it's like fear of change. Oh, like for example, okay. if you're doing like a major rebrand in your company, you know, and and you've always kind of played it safe. Um, maybe you're like a big corporate, but maybe you're trying to like attract more of like a younger audience, you know, maybe like, like Gen Z or something like that. Um, you know, it's hard to convince the decision makers that, you know, you know, pushing the boundary a bit more, um, you know, might think, make things a bit better. Like for example, uh, yeah, yeah. I had a job interview recently and one of the questions they asked me was, uh, I think it was Hinge, the dating app. Yeah. Uh, and I had to, I had to critique like this uh, kind of like new campaign they made, this new advertising campaign. And <laughs> the whole thing was basically like, this app is going to be so good. You're going to find your significant other and you're going to delete the app afterwards because like okay. it's going to be that successful, you know? So that's very risky. To me, that's very risky, you know, mm-hmm. to like basically like say that like, you know, you're going to download this app, you know, you're going to find a love of your life and then you're going to delete the app afterwards, you know, yeah. which is a great success story. But, you know, at the same time, you just lost like so many users. Right. And that's like that's the exact, you know, thing that they teach you not to do. You know, you don't want to like mm-hmm. if you have like 100,000 users on your app, you don't want like 10,000 of them to like delete it the next day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, but that's a lot of love, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a love around, but okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what did you say to them? I was conflicted about it, you know, because I, I did like it. I did like it, you know, and they had like this kind of like cool cartoony character. Yeah. And like they made like this, um, it's almost like a stuffed animal and they called him Hingy. You Hingy. know, they gave him like an identity. And I mean, basically in all the commercials, he just like dies like a tragic death. You oh know? gosh oh my gosh <laughs> i know it's kind of like dark and like twisted uh but it's like it's, it's all done like cartoony and colorful so it's like pretty funny wow um have you ever used hinge before 
No, I'm I'm lucky. So like I I found the love of my life like oh. a long time ago. Um, you know, so thankfully I've never had to use like the dating apps. You know, <laughs> so like I wasn't You're really very lucky. Like, the right person, you know, to be asked that question. Wait, how old are you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 32 now. No, you're not. Yeah, man. You look okay. like you're 25. Baby face. <laughs> yeah, it's a good it's a good thing. Trust me, I get that compliment a lot. Not so more, Thank you. so much more anymore. But um, that's it's awesome. No, seriously, like um, first of all, congrats on finding your one true love. Um, I also have, and uh, it's so interesting because I did like a bunch of the apps, and Hinge actually had the best experience in my opinion are the highest quality dates, I would say, quote yep. unquote. Anyways, um, they didn't end very well, but I find it very antithetical to their purpose of like trying to get you off the app, but then take your money. And, yeah. you know, like it's not very clear where they're drawing the line there. It's because if it was like a one done thing, like you pay us once, we'll find the one true love and then go away. That makes more sense, but it's not like that. Like they keep dragging you to, I'm assuming, I'm assuming they have like a, some sort of business model where it's like every user spends this much time and money on our platform. So let's try to drain them as much as we can from that period of time and then kick them off. So I always have the ulterior motive in back of my head from them in my, like just thinking about like what's going on. Um, yeah. And it's funny, my girlfriend that I met that I'm living with now, um, she, <laughs> she lived down the hall from me. And okay. was also on Hinge, and neither of us saw each other allegedly. Uh, you know, maybe she oh, saw wow. me and denied. Who knows? But yeah, she yeah. said that she didn't, and neither of us saw each other on the app. So I thought that was kind of annoying. And then the next day, I deleted the app. That like one day, I deleted the app. The next day, I met my girlfriend. So that's my story with, with the dating apps. Um, but yeah, no, I yeah, I don't, I don't I don't quite understand their business model, and they're all owned by the same company, anyways, eHarmony or whatever it is. Oh, really? Um, so it's just like a big dating monopoly. Yeah, yeah, no, it is oh, like wow. Bumble, not Bumble. I, actually, I don't know what Bumble is, but like t Tinder, I think uh, eHarmony, I think Hinge as well was sold. I think they're all, if I'm not mistaken, people in the comments can respond to that. Um, but yeah, I think it's like a monopoly in that industry, anyways. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not, I'm not big on like these big, like corporate monopolies, you know. <laughs> but did like, they get back to you? Uh, I'm I'm still waiting. You know, okay. you know how it goes. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. best of luck. If not, then fuck them. Right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, on to the next one. <laughs> uh, on to the next one. Um, yeah. So, um, let's go back to type. Uh, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> and then we'll go into framer. Um. What properties of design does somebody need to master besides type? I said I said I said type, but we're going beyond beyond type. Besides okay. type, that would help them become better at web design. Oh, so like like how to like like master like typography to get like better at web design? Is that what that and more. Like how do you get better at web design? Because I know you mentioned in the tweet that you said like, oh, I can't wait to come on the podcast to talk about framer, typography, yeah. web design, and more. And I was like, all right, let's yeah. let's fucking go. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, what I, I I always like to kind of like find like good references, you know? I'm always like very interested in like great design. I like to see like what other companies are doing, you know. I'm just kind of like, you know, in other areas of design too. It doesn't necessarily be web design or product design or fashion or interior design i'm just kind of like inspired by all facets of design and i think once you find like that kind of like you know like that design eye like that lens you know with when you can really like separate like what's 
you know, what's good from great, you know, uh, and you kind of like, you know, get like that taste, you know, for what's really good. I think you'll slowly over time see that like your skills start to elevate mm-hmm. um, and just try to like find like great resources. You know, it's like, for example, if you're a web designer, it's like uh, godly.website. That's a great resource. Um, the Triple W Awards. There's always great web design on there. Is that what it's called? Um, the Triple W Awards? I'm not sure how you're supposed to I thought to it was it. awards. And everyone says it's differently. There's like awards, <laughs> you know. I call it the Triple W Awards because it's got the three okay. W. I think it makes uh, most sense, but yeah. My, mine sounds dumb. Okay. Yeah. Or if you're into type like me, like typewolf.com, that's a great resource as well. Um, well okay. Let's actually talk about the awards thing right there. So so you made a point yeah. where you, you look to other places for inspiration, or at least you, not inspiration, but you like to see what others are doing. Um, yeah. I would say number question two questions number one why and number two what do you think of the actual triple w site uh because i made a comment about it and it got a little bit of notoriety on twitter about it that that site sucks like the content's amazing it's amazing but the site itself for such an amazing resource it's so hard to navigate yeah, it's a good question. I, I know like the like the kind of like when they, they redid the website, it was like very controversial. Um, like I know like a lot of designers have tried to like recreate like their little like nav bar at the bottom, their little like sticky navigation at the bottom. It is it is kind of tricky to navigate, you know, like I'm trying to find like the site of the day or like, you know, filter to like a specific category, like large type or something like that. Yeah. I do find like it's a bit hard to to like move around. Yeah, I still don't. I've been trying to use that site for like a year now. I still can't figure out how to use it. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's like three pages I can get to, and that's it. Um, okay, so so why do you look towards other like sites, like to what they're doing? Like, what do you gain from that? Uh, so a lot of times I work with like industries um, that may not necessarily have like the best digital experience. Uh, um, you know, for example, I've done like a lot of work with like uh, tattoo culture or you know, alternative services, um, you know, not branching more into like fashion and things like that, um, or like technology or the arts. Um, and a lot of times I kind of like, I try to see what people are doing really great in other areas. And I try to bring, you know, things that are done really well into like, um, you know, new sectors that may not necessarily have done that as well. Um, you know, things that we can borrow that would really kind of like elevate the experience um and i think a lot of that's missing you know like for example uh you know just think about like hair salons or like nails or or you know just think of an industry that maybe hasn't like advanced as much and like the technology could improve they could you know take a lot of things from apple you know maybe you can rebrand you can become the apple of hair salons you know so i I think you think having great design you know is a very valuable thing that can really like elevate your business um, you know, and maybe make it feel a bit more premium or luxury. Um, and, you know, and customers perceive those things and like they're willing to pay you more money just for like great design. Like, like how many times have you gone to like the grocery store and like maybe you're buying like, you know, coffee and you just look at the packaging and like you don't even know which coffee tastes the best, but you know, you're <laughs> like, oh, that one's got the like the nicest package. I love that one. So I'm, I'm going to buy that one. You know, and that happens over and over and over again. No, you're right. That that's true. That's a good uh, thing that design can bring to the table is you know advertising and marketing itself. 
to people who don't know what it is. And then people do judge books by their cover. Yeah. Sad to say, uh, you know, the sentiment's not real. Um, and then, you know, uh, they picked that. That's a good point. Um, I was going to say something about that, but I lost my train of thought there. Um, when, when doing these packages, uh, you, you don't do any print work anymore, do you? You just do digital stuff, right? I occasionally do some print stuff. Uh, not oh, as much okay. as I used to, but it does come up from time to time. Like and what can you kind ago, of... Okay. Uh, sorry to cut you off. A few years ago, I designed like a beer can. I did like a beer packaging, which is pretty cool. Um, I've done like packaging for like jewelry brands. Um, I, um, yeah, I've dabbled in that like a little bit. That's pretty cool. What I was going to say before was companies like, so you said like transitioning like one company's like way of doing things into another industry, like to Apple of hair salons, which I thought was a great example because not many designers here are brave enough to say hair salon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting because when I was in school, in high school, I had a teacher, an amazing graphic design teacher, and he said there's like four types of advertising in graphic design. And he laid them out. And I was very shocked that, that mm -hmm. he distilled these things. Into, I thought these were like from a textbook, someone, but I don't think so. I think he actually came up with them or maybe someone else told him or something. Um, but there's not that many. And one of them is like this. I don't know how to describe it because I don't remember the exact words that he used, but it's like Apple's way of doing it. Like it's just very pristine, um, very like like luxury. That's the, I guess you would say luxury, uh, yeah. kind of like a dark room, light room focuses on the object, uh, very, um, very de decluttered. Uh, and it, it's just very like uh, high valued perception yeah. in a way. And lots of companies do it. Like lots of companies do it, but not many people pull it off. Like there's some watch brands like Rolex and there's, you know, um, Porsche or um, you can name a couple of other objects or artifacts or expensive brands that all deploy the exact same advertising graphic design model that Apple does, yeah. which is where they probably got it from or Apple got it from. Yeah. And yet they're not as successful. And the only thing I could think of that's different between Apple and all those other brands is that Apple actually creates something that's innovative. That's actually very different than what mm -hmm. the norm is, but they still apply the same practices. So is it just about applying that practice from one company to another industry? Or is there more to it that's beyond design that we're not responsible for? Or is it that we just have to do it in a different way and then it can be. That's yeah, that's a great question. Um, like, I think, like, establishing, like, those core principles for your brand, like you were saying, like, pristine, luxury, like, highly polished, like, you know, kind of like that Apple aesthetic, that's, like, the first step. But I think, like, doing something that no one else is doing is, like, the second step. Like, if you think about, like, why Apple's still successful, they kind of have, like, the whole Apple ecosystem, you know, they have the MacBook, the iPhone, you know, they have the CarPlay, you know, they have the AirPods, you know, uh, they have the home, like Apple Home, uh, you know, so if you think about it, like, you know, it just makes it like very easy, you know, you know, like, when you buy Apple products, they're gonna be like highly polished, like they work really well, they all like sync and work together, um, you know, so you can always kind of like rely on that. 
Um, I think if like, if you're trying to like apply those principles to like another industry, you know, you really have to go like above and beyond, you know, and kind of like create like a great experience that no one else is doing. Okay. I want to transition that to our final topic, which is the one and only framer. Cool. Uh, how do you build an amazing website in Framer, knowing all these wonderful things that you've discussed in the podcast from picking the right typeface and knowing what makes a good website? How do you make a good website in Framer? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think my approach to Framer is a lot different than, for example, awesome. a lot of the other designers you see on Twitter. Um, like I've noticed in the Framer community or even in like the Framer templates themselves, like a lot of them are like geared towards like product design or tech companies or, or startups. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just, I have like, I have like a very different aesthetic. Like you have I a better more, aesthetic. That's what you're saying. I wouldn't say it's a better aesthetic. <laughs> I just, I work with like, like different industries where like that look is like, you know, not mm-hmm. what they're trying to sell. Um, yeah. like I work with like a lot of people in the arts or like culture or lifestyle or, or things like that. Like, like for example, if you think of like Nike, you know, you don't necessarily think of like, um, you know, Google, right? They have like two completely different looks and completely different feels. Um, and I kind of like, you know, stray more towards like the Nike side of things. Um, but like when I'm designing like a framer website, I really kind of like leverage like my background in graphic design and editorial design. Um, I really like emphasize like, like, like good typography, uh, layout, grid systems. You know, I like to ensure there's like a great hierarchy and everything's very orderly. Um, you know, and I, I try to use that to create very unique designs that may not be seen. Um, and, and just kind of like my main goal, like going into every project is just to kind of like create something that is like timeless and memorable, um, and like recognizable. Um, cause uh, like I was saying earlier, like you see so many things on the web that, that look the same. Um, so my, my main goal, like when going into framer is to just create something unique and different. I think though that when you say product design versus, I guess what's the opposite of product marketing design um, or just graphic design in general, I do think that product design, of course, product design could mean that it's, it's like the centered title text with the subtext and a little tag on the top of it with like a button below and then the and then when you scroll up, you see a screenshot of the website. I think that's like traditionally now known as product design website. I think that's just a lack of creativity. Like I think that they can still do your your they can still use the motivations that you have, maybe not the same style, but the same yeah. motivations and implement them. But I think a lot of people are just being lazy. I think a lot of people are being uncreative. I think a lot of people are getting pressure to get something done and they go to something that's true and proven. Yep. So because it performs well, I'm not going to lie. It does pretty well with users. Um, even if they think it's boring, right. They'll still use it if it's what they have to use. Um, and it's the only option, but I still think that people like you are a great voice for channeling that level of creativity to other designers like myself and, and, and other product designers who shouldn't just be relying on the same boring stuff and create something that's more memorable. Like you said, yeah. I think that's a really great 
thing to include that people don't focus on. They think they say better SEO, uh, more content above the fold. Um, they say, you know, it has to have the, the, the bento grid style. Yeah. But you said something I think is very different, memorable. And why is that to you? I know why, but why is that to you is so important? For me, I think it comes from um, like traditional branding. I used to do a lot of branding in the past when I did print design. Um, and like when you think of like a great logo, like, you know, like the FedEx logo or like the Nike logo or, you know, even the Google logo, um, you know, PlayStation. Um, there's so many ones that pop in mind. Like when, when you think of those, they're like very memorable, they're like very like distinct images in your mind. And when you think of each one, you get like a different feeling. Um, and I think that's different in product design because like the main focus, like now with startups, um, like when you're creating like a unique product in the marketplace, the main goal is to like perfect like the product and do one thing really well that maybe like a competitor isn't doing. Um, so I think like the focus on like the branding or, you know, like that unique memorable identity um, is not there. Um, and, and that's because, you know, a lot of times, you know, there, there are these teams are trying to get like these products, you know, to market as quick as possible so they can secure like, you know, seed funding. Um, and then I think that like that next layer comes later on, you know, like that great brand, that great kind of like memorable experience. And I think Cash App is actually a great example of that because if you go to like the Cash App website, it's not like any of the other like financial apps, you know, it's very like type heavy, very colorful, lots of illustrations, um, you know, it's very different, you know, which I think is risky in that space, but, you know, it's brave of them to, to do something unique. Um, and I think that creates like a memorable experience. Um, and whether you like it or not, um, you know, is always controversial. But I think just like that willingness to, to change and, and do something different is always like the first step, you know, for like a great new design. And when you say dis different, I think you're also meaning distinct, right? Yeah. Because that would mean that if you're thinking of something in that industry, you want to be the first one to be thought of so that people go to you if they're not looking at your website or your brand or something, or if they see it, they instantly understand who you are and what you stand for amongst a whole sea of competitors. Um, it's all business at the end of the day. Um, I think I want to wrap up with two questions. Uh, one question uh, is something that you mentioned just before about timelessness. You want to design things that are timeless. Uh, I wrote an article recently about that to our newsletter. Shout out to our newsletter. And, and, and you were also one of the newsletters reminding our audience that you were one of the, one of the, the uh, designers of, of the, 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 the episode. Uh, thing. Awesome. Um, so I hope you read that. Uh, that was great. That I love the article. <laughs> Thanks. Well, so in that article, you must have read it then. Uh, my piece on timelessness. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any thoughts and responses to that? Well, I think, I think like timelessness is, is like, um, it has many different meanings. Um, mm. But, but for me, it's kind of like, it's kind of like something that like, you know, no matter how much we age or how much the world changes, you know, it, it like doesn't go away. Like, like, for example, if you think of like fashion, you think of like maybe like a classic motorcycle jacket, you know, even though that jacket's been around for like a hundred years and it, it's not going anywhere, you know, it's like a, it's like a staple, you know, um, or in typography, you think of like a typeface, like, like Helvetica, 
or, or like now, I'm using uh, New Montreal by Pangram, shout out to Pangram, um, which I think is like a great elevated version of Hel- Helvetica, um, which I've actually been seeing on the web quite a bit now. And I think that's going to be one that sticks around for a while. So I like to think of like these kind of like these, these great kind of like staples of the past, um, you know, that were done really well. And, and I like to think like, you know, how can we elevate that and make that better, you know? Um, and, and to me, timelessness is like something that, you know, no matter how much the world changes, you know, people are still going to want that, um, you know, and it's always going to feel familiar and it doesn't age, you know, it always looks great, you know, like there's certain like design principles, you know, certain layouts you use, you know, you can always fall back on those and, and you know, it's going to look great. So for me, timelessness is like, kind of like that, it's that great modern aesthetic you know, that contemporary aesthetic that like, no matter how much, you know, um, the industries innovate or change, you're always going to fall back to that and, you know, feel comfortable knowing that, you know, it's never going to age and it, it's always going to feel fun. <laughs> kind of long-winded, well, but well, well said. hope that made sense. Uh, no, it, it makes sense. I, I, the only problem I have with timelessness is that people strive for it, but they actually end up making something that's just like nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a difference between like timeless and nostalgic because you're, you're starting to see that yeah. now with kind of like uh, it's all like these '90s type bases that are coming back. You know, like those early <laughs> like 1990 like Apple ads. You know, with like the the big Garamond font. So I think that's coming back. You know, but to me that's more of like a trend. You know, I think that's more of like yeah. a trend. You know, whereas like timeless, I think of like uh, what is it like brawn? Like you know, at least think of like the Dieter Rams, like that. You know, the old design principles. Uh, yeah, things like yeah. that. Or, um, you know, I think of maybe like, uh, like Swiss, like Swiss design. I love Swiss design, like just kind of like layouts and order and grids and typography. To me, those things are like timeless and, you know, they'll, they'll never go to um, style or, or fashion. And uh, I think you can apply those pr- principles to any new product and it'll always feel relevant. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, last question. And we asked this to all of our guests. So the whole episode is about us. Uh, is, is it, the whole episode is about us asking you how you're shaping the world of design through all of the work that you do. How has the world of design shaped you? Oh man, that's a great question. I was thinking about this a lot last night because I was, I was, I was watching like the other podcasts and the other guests you've had. And, and it's a, it's a hard question to answer, but, for me, I think like design gave me like my own identity. Um, I very much identify as a designer. And I, I think that's because like growing up, I came from like a military family. So my my father was in the army, my, my brother served in the Air Force. And like, you know, being like creative or, you know, doing things in the arts or design wasn't necessarily like accepted. So I think I think design really allowed me to kind of like become the person I am. Um, you know, and branch out and do something different that may not have been accepted in my family and, you know, be brave to like, kind of like go forward and pursue my dream um, and, you know, follow my passion. I love that answer. Uh, very few people have said, and you probably have seen it, uh, very few people have said or at all said that it's given them an identity. I think that's something that's like really beautiful. So thank you. Thank you for being honest and sharing that. Oh, thanks, man. That wraps up episode 32. 
thanks for being on, man. Really appreciate it. No problem, dude. It's a blast. You know, after this podcast picks up and you got like thousands and thousands of followers, we got to do it again. We oh, we're going to do it again and again and again. <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Appreciate it, man. Thank you.